Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today's Monday, the 24th of April. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer, and welcome to our weekly Beyond Markets update. There wasn't that much action in markets last week, and that's not surprising because this week is going to be a very heavy one data-wise. People are waiting to see what's the April consumer confidence going to be when it comes out on Tuesday, and then what's the first quarter GDP and the March Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, the Fed's favorite inflation measure, going to be when they come out on Thursday. And then there's the Employment Cost Index that the Fed also watches very closely that comes out on Friday. And on top of that, All through the week, we have the heaviest reporting week for first quarter results. 180 companies are going to be reporting this week, twice as many as have reported so far, including all the big technology companies they're reporting this week. So that's why there wasn't a lot of action last week, because this week's going to be a big week. Actually, one interesting thing to note is just how sanguine the market is. The VIX index that measures volatility in the S&P 500 index was over 25% back in early March, and now it's under 17. Under 20 generally means the stock market is stable. It's not stressed. And where we are now is below the average since the VIX's inception back in 1990, the average is 19.7. It seems kind of strange, given all the uncertain things going on in the world today, By the way, the Chicago Board of Exchange that runs the VIX index is launching a new one-day VIX today because the current VIX is based off derivatives that expire around three weeks from now. But zero-day stock options have become so popular, they're now about half of the options volume for the S&P. So the VIX doesn't capture those, and there's some thought it's losing its effectiveness as a sentiment barometer. In fact, if we look at other parts of the market, there are bigger signs of stress. The one that's being talked about the most is the very strange gap that's opened up between the three-month Treasury bill yield and the one-month Treasury bill yield. The one-month Treasury bill yield is 3.3%, and the three-month Treasury bill yield is over 5%. And that kind of gap has never happened before because it's not supposed to happen. These are both very short-dated treasuries. They're both supposed to trade based on what the Fed's going to do or what the market thinks the Fed's going to do. No one really knows why this is happening. There's all sorts of explanations. And the one that's been getting the most airtime is is that it's because of the debt ceiling talks that are happening in Washington, D.C., in Congress right now. The Democrats thought they could force the Republicans to raise the limit on borrowing without cutting spending, But even with the pressure the Democrats have enlisted from the corporate sector, the Republicans are not budging. And if there's no increase in the debt ceiling come early June, that, combined with weaker tax collections, means the government probably won't be able to pay its debt, which the Washington Post wrote over the weekend could spark a global financial panic and lead to a recession in the United States. Well, going back to the gap between the one- and three-month Treasury yields, The idea is, I suppose, that with a one-month treasury, you're sure to get your money back. But three months from now is going to be in July, and maybe the U.S. government is going to default before that. Actually, there have been many times that the debt ceiling debate has come down to the wire before. Back in 2011, Standard & Poor's downgraded the U.S. government's credit rating for the first time ever for precisely such a reason, and we survived that. 
And then two years later in 2013, when the federal government shut down for 16 days, Republicans could see they were the ones who were getting blamed in the polls. And so there was a temporary increase in the debt ceiling. And eventually there was an agreement to cut some of the spending. So no one truly thinks this time that they won't get a deal done either, which means the spread between the one and three month yields is very strange. Someone asked ChatGPT what it thought about it. And it just shows you technology's got some way to go because the answer wasn't particularly illuminating. It said the spread between the one and three month treasuries could signal expectations of weaker growth or an increased likelihood of a recession. But that just wouldn't explain such a wide spread between two months. So the mystery remains, although it's true what ChatGPT said. The recession risk barometers do keep rising. For example, since 2006, CNBC has been conducting what it calls an all-American economic survey, and this month's survey shows 69% of the public holds a negative view about the economy, both now and in the future. That's the highest in the survey's history. Two-thirds of respondents say the country's headed into a recession or in one already. And corroborating that, the Philadelphia Fed's April Manufacturing Index was reported on Thursday, and it went from minus 23.2 to minus 31. In the past, when it was at this level, the economy was in recession. So taking that into consideration, last week our fixed income research team downgraded their recommendation on U.S. high-yield bonds to underweight, and I'll just read what our fixed income analyst Dario Messi wrote. He said financial conditions have tightened considerably, and the kind of less financially stable companies that are typically found in the high-yield segments should experience more stress. He said the economic outlook is fragile, turmoil in the banking sector doesn't help, and the default rate in high yield is likely to increase from here. So instead of U.S. high yield, we'd rather recommend emerging market bonds that still benefit from China's reopening and dollar weakness. And by the way, I should add, we just increased our Chinese GDP forecast for 2023 from 5.3% 5 to 6%. We did that last week. Now, whenever indicators like the Philadelphia Manufacturing Index, but that's not the only one, there's lots of others, were at the kind of levels they're at now, high-yield bond spreads over treasuries were above 10%. Today, they're still at 5%. We think that's too low. Another data point backing up the idea of moving away from high-yield is that small businesses in the United States are saying less credits being made available to them. That's what the National Federation of Independent Businesses' latest survey shows. The only other two times their loan availability index was at the minus nine level that it registered in March were in 1990 and 2008. Those were both recessions. The recent sharp decline in the loan availability to small businesses probably has something to do with the banking crisis that started over a month ago. Is it over? Of course, no one knows. Big banks are still seeing outflows in their deposits. But actually, if you look closely, you'll notice those outflows started a long time before Silicon Valley Bank. They started about a year ago when the Fed began raising rates and people looked for higher returns outside of their bank deposits. So that's not really a crisis. And in fact, big bank deposits are still about 5% higher than where they were at the beginning of 2021. For the small banks, on the other hand, yes, there were huge outflows during the Silicon Valley Bank collapse in March. But actually, if you look closely, you'll notice small bank deposits are now stabilizing. And their share prices are also stabilizing. They're not rising, 
but they're not going down anymore either. We'll see what happens. 20 years ago, when Bill Gross was CEO of PIMCO and the so-called Bond King, one of the biggest names on Wall Street, what he said made a big splash, and he left PIMCO over a decade ago. He's almost 80 now. We don't hear from him as often as we used to, but he still writes an investment outlook every month or so in his personal website, and he published one on Friday where he said that he recently bought several regional banks as well as the Spider Regional Bank ETF because, as he wrote, and I'll quote him, recent returns on equity of 9 to 10%. At 60% of book provide an enticing long-term investment. Many smaller regionals may be gobbled up by larger counterparts at premium to market bids. End of quote. That's what Bill Gross wrote. Well, to round off with the broader market, I'll quote Yogi Berra, it's like deja vu all over again. After its bottom last October, the S&P had a nice two-month rally, but that fizzled out in December. And then it tried another rally, and that lasted about two months before it gave up the ghost. And since mid-March, we've been in another rally, but people don't seem to have a lot of confidence this one's going to last any longer than the other two did because they're uncomfortable with the valuations. The forward 12-month price-earnings ratio of the S&P is at 18 times above the long-term average. And sentiment is bizarrely strong. If you just look at CNN's fear and greed index as a proxy, it's currently in the greedy category. The pain trade that could take the market higher would be in the first quarter earnings that are coming out right now because the bar is very low. The consensus is looking for a 6.2% decline year-on-year -year in earnings in the first quarter. I mentioned at the beginning, so far 90 S&P companies have reported their earnings. In aggregate, 76% of those beat consensus expectations versus the 10-year average of 73% beats. So it's not like earnings are going to be great. They're probably still going to be negative year on year, but they're probably also not going to be as bad as what the consensus expected. As I also mentioned, 180 companies are going to be reporting this week. Those include the three largest stocks in the stock market, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. Now, Apple and Microsoft, their share prices registered positive trend changes quite some time ago. They broke their downward trend channels. They broke their 200-day moving averages. Amazon couldn't do that up until last Friday. And since then, it appears that it's finally breaking last year's downward trend channel, possibly breaking the 200-day moving average as well. So let's see what happens when they report their earnings on Thursday. And if they're good, if that's enough to change the share price trend to a positive one. And that would be meaningful because it's the third largest stock in the stock market. What's weird is these bullish price movements seem completely at odds with the economic data that I mentioned. For example, CNBC's All-American Economic Survey, loan availability to small businesses. What else was there? Conference Board's Leading Economic Index, the Philadelphia Fed's Manufacturing Survey. Isn't that strange? But just remember, that's a manufacturing survey. Manufacturing is 18% of the U.S. economy. Services are 77% of the economy. The rest is agriculture, by the way. And the Philadelphia Fed measures eastern and central Pennsylvania, southern New Jersey, Delaware. Important parts of the country, it's true, but not all the country, which S&P does measure with its purchasing managers index that came out on Friday, they released their April Preliminary Purchasing Managers Index. After five months below 50, so signaling contraction, the Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index inched up to 
And the Services Purchasing Managers Index that the consensus thought would fall from 52.6 to 51.5 actually rose to 53.7. There was an uptick in new orders for both the services and manufacturing PMIs. And when we put them two together, what we see is the composite PMI rose from 52.3 in March to 53.5 in April. The consensus thought it was going to go back down to 51.2. Now, this PMI leads GDP by around six months. So maybe, for some strange reason, those other lead indicators that I talked about just aren't working right now. In which case, earnings would be better than what the consensus expects, and the stock market isn't on 18 times forward price earnings after all. Or maybe not. Admittedly, it's a confusing picture, and we're getting contrasting signals from multiple different sources. Which is why our own economist, David Cole, puts the chance of a recession or not in the U.S. right now at 50-50. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead, and we'll speak with you again next week. Goodbye. Get ready for the day ahead. Moving Markets is a daily market news briefing from Julius Baer's leading experts. You'll hear all about the latest ups and downs across asset classes, the underlying drivers, and our thoughts on where markets are heading. Search for Moving Markets on your favorite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.